And welcome to the Glacially Musical Podcast, Beer, Metal, and Swearing. As of right now, we are knee-deep into a Simpler Times Lager from Trader Joe's. For $6, you can get a whole 12-pack of it. Uh, if you are anything like me right now, you're feeling a money crunch, so you're trying to find anywhere you can save a dollar. And right now, also having a wonderful, fun times. So I'll get to that in a bit, because recording this on a Friday afternoon, which is unusual. And I'll explain. But uh, welcome to episode number 43 of the GMP. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for checking everything out. If you are here because of my good friend in Cro-Magnum, well, I mean, we're not good friends, but, you know, hey, um, you know, Max, we can, we could be friends. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? What you know, like Lester Bangs always says, don't make friends with the rock stars. Well, that's what he said anyway. But uh, hopefully you are enjoying the content I'm bringing you. i got a couple singles for you today. But before we get to that, I want to give a couple shout-outs to some friends of mine. If you are a musician listening to this, uh, check out the C-Squared podcast hosted by Corey and Curtis. They will give you some amazing tips on how to grow your reach. I have used a lot of their techniques to amazing, uh, you know, effect of course my friend darren at the fourth line voice from saskatoon saskatchewan he's not a fan of the rough riders and being a newly minted fan i will forgive him apparently but he uh, he does a great podcast for old-time hockey and i love old-time hockey you know, love the enforcers, love all that good stuff. He has had some amazing interviews with a lot of players. The The running joke he's always had with, with his interviews is you might not know this week's player, but you're definitely going to know some of the some of the people he talks about. And that has been so true. There was a guy that it was one of the first episodes I actually listened to. This was a few years ago where I didn't know the player, but he told a story about the St. Charles Chill. And this guy was never listed on the roster for St. Charles. St. Charles was a one and done double A hockey, double A uh, hockey teams. You know, they were a whale shit double A CHL team, as it were, kind of came and went. But because he was on he was he was called into preseason and he quit on the team in preseason saying, no, I won't I won't play here, which was an amazing story to hear. And it was nice to hear a hockey player say something more than, you know, just. Well, you know, they're all good guys. We're trying to do the, you know, trying to do the right thing. And you, you, you know how the interviews go if you like hockey. And in that similar vein, there's also Alec at, at uh, Five for Fighting out of Sarasota, Florida, I believe. He's moved around in Florida and I can't keep up because it's, it's all Florida. But he's got a, a similar concept. I, I definitely listen to that every week. Um, check out these podcasts. And if you've got any recommendations for any more mom and pop podcasts, people that aren't celebrities already, people that aren't in these giant, ginormo major networks, not that I don't enjoy those, but I could use a few, I, I could use a few more recommendations as well, be it hockey, be it storytelling, be it whatever, just, you know, anything out there. Actually, if there's a, a podcast about Monty Python, like the history of Monty Python, that would be something I would be really interested in. But anyway, so let's uh, kick it on into episode forty-two. I'm not gonna not gonna kick it around here too much right now. We have uh, uh, first off today, as I record this, it's October first. 
and the Blues are actually going to be playing Chicago Blackhawks in uh, the preseason. Hopefully, the Blues can win that preseason championship. But today is the release day of a couple of records that I wanted to point out. The first one is um, uh, Multiverse by uh, Uriel, which I'm probably mispronouncing that because I believe they're all French. I know Gaia is French. It's uh, another project featuring Gaia Garda from uh, Quebec. She play, she sings and plays the harp. And she it's, it's kind of like an Unleash the Archers kind of situation, but it's a much more, it's a much heavier band, I think. And it's also a much more classical band as well. So it's the it, it's like Unleash. It's a similar concept to Unleash the Archers, but it goes. It it takes each of the extremes a little more extreme. So their new album Multiverse is out today, and I'm going to play the title track for you here before we bring in before we bring in Max of Cro Magnum. And if you are here because of Max of Cro Magnum, thank you very much. Hopefully you'll be willing to give me a two week tryout to see if you uh, if you dig what else we do here. And let's see. Uh, oh, Clouds Taste Satanic, one of my favorite doom metal bands, has. What are they doing? They are re-releasing "Your Doom Has Come," which is one of their, which is their second album. Uh, you can get that on vinyl for thirty-five dollars. It is, it is ready to go now. It says shipping out now. There's only a hundred copies of it, so uh, thirty-five. Oh. 35 is the limited edition version. Then there's another version for 20. Uh, then there's another version for 75 for the, of course, the, the test pressings. Uh, Cloud State Satanic definitely is always gonna, and always gonna give you as many different versions as, as of their stuff as they can. But great doom metal band, instrumental doom metal band. And let's, um, and, uh, the guitar player was on this show quite some time ago. And what's awful is I have such terrible, terrible memory that I am now fumbling on his name. It was Steve Scavuzzo of Cloud Stay Satanic. Thank you, Steve, very much. I loved our conversation. I loved the episode. But anyway, I'm going to shut up right now, and I'm going to leave everybody with Multiverse by Uriel. Check that out. Uh, I probably should have a little bit more information before saying this, but let's real quick. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, they are at urielmetal.bandcamp.com. That's U-R-I-E-L-M-E-T-A-L.bandcamp.com. Actually, I'm kind of curious what how they're releasing this because you know it is Bandcamp Friday today, not tomorrow. Uh, you can get it on uh, CD for 15 Canadian dollars, or you can get it on digital. But uh, yeah, they are definitely a French Canadian. They're from Montreal, Quebec. So check out Multiverse and I. We'll catch you soon. Thank you very much. Have a great week.
get it, man. We'll get it. And we are now joined by Max of Cro-Magnum. How are you today, sir? I am doing great, man. How are you? It is Monday. Uh, four more days as we do this. And yeah, no. work sucks. Life sucks. How about you? Uh, <laughs> oh, well, we already did that. I'm sorry. So um, who are you? Am I really deep or did you join the wrong Zoom meeting? Uh, my name is Max Rex and I play in a heavy metal band called Cro-Magnum. That's who I am. Okay, fair enough. My, one of my favorite jokes is from Mitch Hedberg. He, he says, I did a radio interview and I got there and the guy says, who are you? And I had to think to myself, is this guy really deep or did I drive to the wrong station? <laughs> so nobody's ever gotten that reference, but I don't think anybody knows Mitch Hedberg's first record. So yeah, it is what it is. But uh, so what does, uh, what does Pro Magnum have going on that everybody should be aware of? Uh, well, we just recently released our latest EP, uh, which we're super proud of. Uh, put a lot of work into that one. So definitely check it out at our website, cromagnum.ca. Um, yeah, I mean, this one, we, we had a lot of trials and tribulations to get this one out. Uh, I'm sure everyone out there who's been in bands or who have been in bands um, knows how it works. Frankly, with the way with and, the way uh, last year was and people quit the band and you guys come in. Yeah, that we, certainly didn't help. That certainly didn't help. We actually like we, we were a full band. The last show we played was March 2020. Mm -hmm. Like literally or a few days before the lockdown started here, like maybe less than a week. And uh, after that, everything kind of went to poop. And yeah, I went to my wife and I went to the very last blues game before the lockdown. So we were sitting in the arena at the, the Enterprise Center. I can never remember what the damn thing's called because they change it every other week. So we're sitting in the Enterprise Center and they were talking about this new thing called COVID. And my God, I had such wonderful American uh, enthusiasm and optimism. Oh, this will be gone. It'll be fine. We'll get rid of it in like, you know, a couple of months. It's fine. Whatever. We'll just lock down two weeks. We'll kill it. Oh my God, I had no idea how awful this was going to be. And that here we are, what is it, uh, 17, 16 months later, yeah. we are still dealing with it. And, you know, last year, so everybody puts out their records. Well, now we're in 2021 and everybody's got to start like putting out the records they recorded in COVID. So that's got to be fun. There's at least that. I mean, that's, you know, ultimately, even though that happened, like we had that great show and then everything kind of turned to poop for the recording after that. Uh, so, you know, we lost two guys uh, along the way, but we were able to finish the album. So, uh, you know, that's that's what we're floating on right now, basically. <laughs> so uh, uh, that can be picked up at cromagnum.ca. I will put a link in the description. Do you want me to play a single at the end of this? I would certainly appreciate it. Just uh, tell me which one and I'll pop it on there. Um, if you would, I uh, guess, put the, the title song, Born Free. Okay, I'm going to write this down because we're still going to talk for a while. So I gotcha. I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to text this to you. Just just pretend like I didn't send it to you. Okay. Uh, it, was the first, it was the first application I pulled up. So, of course, we are here to discuss uh, Stanley Kubrick for some reason. Yeah, well, because uh, that was a subject that I chose. Correct, uh, which is awesome. I like to do like you know the the nerdy subjects that people do, and but it has to be something I have some knowledge of. So it certainly helps, right? Yeah, yeah, because I want to be able to be a part of the conversation. 
Um, <laughs> Makes sense. Because I just love hearing myself talk, as anyone who knows me will tell you. So let's start at the beginning of Stanley Kubrick. What is the first Stanley Kubrick flick that you saw personally? It's so hard to pin down because, I mean, like I can remember when I was a kid seeing some scenes from 2001, right? Just like some very basic oh, you know, memories and stuff. You just ruined me because I thought mine was uh, Full Metal Jack. But no. Um, I thought I mine was remember. Full Metal Jack, but no, it's 2001. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's like, yeah. he's, it's in this weird way. He's always kind of been there. And probably as a kid, it was kind of, you know, past me, but I would still remember some of the images. I'm very visual, like drawing stuff too. So, um, and, and I think you're probably right. It's maybe the first one I was aware of as a kid was Full Metal Jacket, but I don't think I probably, did I, I saw it, I was fairly young. I remember seeing that scene, yeah, with uh, Vincent D'Onofrio and bathroom right that obviously everyone knows oh, like that's yeah. God, we have i guess that would be the one the one i'm most conscious of yeah we've been talking about that at work for a, a, a while for like a lot lately and i wish we wouldn't but you know it is what it is but i mean i i look back and i remember watching like the beginning of 2001 up to when the the australopithecine throws the bone in the air that's when i turn it off because i have been long into the origin of the species before I even knew that phrase. So when I would get bored of reading the National sure. Geographics we had, I would watch that. And then we actually watched that scene in my anthropology course in high school. So, I mean, I got made fun of for that by my stepdad, but uh, my <laughs> teacher showed me that. So fuck you, Terry shows you. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm sure when you're like a lot of, you know, when you're a young boy, you're, you're a, you have this interest in like dinosaurs and ancient creatures and stuff like that. Right. Oh, yeah, so it totally. kind of makes, kind of makes sense that that would grab you as a kid more than anything else. Like I can remember some of those scenes and then the space scenes. Mm -hmm. But I never watched the space scenes. But again, me not paying that much attention when I was a kid uh, before. Cause like my, you know, I, in the eighties, you know, your parents didn't really screen the movies you watched. I had an older sister. Oh no, they did like, not. Right. Like, there was none of that, which is cool. I mean, <laughs> no, I as a father now, no, I, I'm, I'm screaming I mean, the movies. I get it, but like I, I can remember as a kid, like there was something about those movies that I still, even as a kid, knew that they were movies, right? Like Freddy right. and Jason and stuff like that. So it never kind of freaked me out that much. Now, in fairness, the only horror movie that my real family, life horror stories were kind of more horrifying to me than than movies like that. The only horror movies that my family ever screened for me was uh, The Howling. Because there uh, were movies and all kinds of other things that... That's one of the greatest covers ever. If, if, I think if that came out now, it would not be rated R. It would be past that. Uh, <laughs> Some of those movies, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I can remember The Howling 2 way Such better than I should. Uh, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Um, so I guess what is, great what, visuals, though. Great visuals, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, if you'd rather discuss uh, horrible, cheesy 80s uh, er erotic horror. Uh, no, not, not, the... not that deeply. We okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Because the howling to me is erotic horror. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Now, maybe if I watched it as an adult, it would be different. But as a 12-year-old, I just remember those werewolves la ladies are naked. I said it. Yes. It was always nice when there's a booby or two in one of those movies. In, in the 80s, they were everywhere. It, it's not like it is today. It's like how 
in the 80s you had hockey fights everywhere but now you don't yeah you have the yeah. rando you, fight you could rent those ski patrol movies and there was a good bet you'd see like boobs uh you i mean, <laughs> you could, I mean if i'm being honest since we really jumped the shark um I can remember watching local television, which in America is very different than Canadian television. I've traveled. I mistakenly Googled uh, Emma from Degrassi Junior High, and I saw things that I did not expect to see from made-for-Canadian TV (laughs) movies. They were like, what the hell? Anyway, so in America, we're much more puritanical when it comes to television and, and, and movies and that. So I can remember there were times in the 80s at the late right time in the evening they would get a little bit more risque and slightly pg-13 but now pg-13 is rated r so yeah the standard the standards have totally changed listen i'm i'm from quebec and it's a french province and they kind of, yeah well i mean the, the, here there was this revolution kind of in the late 60s where everyone was very catholic and they just kind of went all hippie and stuff and like free love and and sex and yeah that's basically what happened they kind of turned their back on the church or whatever generally um so like when i was a kid and there was a boob in the movie like my parents would just laugh i guess was if we were watching it together you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah a, it's here probably a french thing it's a little euro you know you're very different very different yeah and it's always, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, yeah, I understand. <laughs> oh crap. I've been on the wrong microphone this whole time. I've still heard you well though. That was yeah, at least, but I, I don't sound good on this one and I can't make a change. So, well, whatever. Um, so, uh, Stanley Kubrick, what is your favorite Stanley Kubrick movie? Uh, that's tough. There's like, I, I guess I would say I have like a top three. But if you really ask for my favorite, oh, it's tough between 2001 and, and Clockwork Orange. It'd be between those two for sure. I guess I'd have to say 2001 overall because it's probably the one where I can like just rewatch and rewatch. You know, I watch it once or twice a year, honestly. And uh, a lot of times when I'm drawing at the drawing board and I'm doing some, some illustration or something, I love putting something like that on, right? And uh, yeah. The one of my favorite things about a Clockwork Orange is the first time I ever heard anything from it. There was a local band here called Crucible, who uh, used that uh, used um, the doctor's speech in the theater. Very soon now, the drug will take effect. That speech used that before one of their songs. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had no idea what it was because I was only sixteen. But the you know I when I when I became a fan of Kubrick. All of a sudden, it was like, oh, I've seen half of these movies already. But it was before knowing, you know, before paying attention to who a filmmaker was. What separates Kubrick apart from, say, Spielberg to you? Uh, uh, His... Okay, let's start with just like his basic visual sense and his composition sense is completely different. It's, you know, he's, he's got this you know, symmetrical thing kind of going that he kind of sticks to a lot, but like in, in other people's hands, it doesn't work quite as well. For some reason, he just has, you know, I've looked into like the technical side of things and how he was obsessed about different lenses for different effects and stuff. So he would get like super obsessive to get the effects that he wants. And that's why I feel when you watch his movies, they, they just kind of feel, I don't want to say better, but just somehow more provocative, I guess is how I'd put it, if that makes sense. I, I will you know, again, say- like with, with the his, illustration and the frame and stuff and where you're placing, you know, things. His choice of color palette 
is as well very yeah. very unique because it's it, it's almost pale while being while maintaining a sense of vibrancy, which creates an odd atmosphere. And that's in all of his movies. That's you know in in two thousand one the deep red in the in the shining the pale peach and nude of as in human nude of the outlook hotels wallpapers and yeah. backing and then his so then he used when so then when the blood comes out of the elevator it creates a much more it makes that that scene far more striking visually than it would have been had he not chosen those colors and then yeah he's and, very specific for sure yes, and like then the he, family even wore very run down colors so the the entire the entire film was very run down except for the blood which came shooting out and is very and then kind of vibrant and and bright right creates that contrast that he wants right i've noticed that some filmmakers tend to have a way they do blood Uh, i would also say that uh hiwa miyazaki is the same if you look at uh, he, yeah, Miyazaki's movies, all of the blood is animated the same in all of his movies. It's a very deep crimson with a bit of a sparkle to it, which is strange now that I really say that out loud because I've never said that out loud before. But that's kind of that's similar how how Kubrick does because Kubrick doesn't use blood frequently, but when he does, it is very striking and it, it's the way he, the way he uses color, it makes it almost look as it just fell on your lap. I see what you're saying. Almost like it's paint. Right. But it, it, but because it becomes so much more striking, it becomes much more shocking and much more and much gorier, even when it's not gory. I see what you're saying. At least grotesque. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Now, what did you think of eyes wide shut? Uh, I really liked it, to be honest. Um, but obviously, there's a lot of confusion. Him dying like right after, you know, it didn't help. Doing his, his final edit. Um, there's, there's some. Did he? Stories. I didn't even know he did the final edit. Well, he didn't. That's the thing. Is he always had final say and final edit? And apparently, you know, a week or two once he he had created his final edit, he was having arguments with the executives because they were trying to get him to cut certain. I know there was a scene that parts out of the movie. Yeah, there, the there was a scene. That, you know, he passed away, and they did it anyway. Right. There was there was a scene where apparently, like uh, the the whole yeah the whole scene at the the mansion was expanded upon a lot, and apparently there's probably from what I've heard some even weirder stuff that you know again <laughs> I don't want to get in. It sounds you know. Uh, there there was a, from what I understand, and I'm just going by what I remember hearing about this when it was new that the Stanley Kubrick final cut or the finalist cut that he had done had it to an NC-17 rating. And then they went in and made some edits to get it down to rated R, which personally, as this is the same person that put out A Clockwork Orange in England that had an X rating, which X meant something different, means something different over there than it does over here. Yeah, but still, yeah, that was in the 70s too, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, X just meant like very explicit, not necessarily sexually explicit. Like it didn't I got you. From or, from what I've heard, uh, there's there's definitely more sex. 
violence and more sexual elements to what's been taken out. Uh, yeah. But I've also heard a lot of rumors of a, like a human sacrifice scene. Oh, yeah. so that's a new one on yeah. me. I did not know about that one. That actually might make it better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, the, pro- the problem if that's I have his with vision, that movie, right? It, correct. That if that's his vision, vision, that should be there. Because yeah. the idea of, and I don't know, maybe it is just the fact that we're in 2021 and I am just so fucking tired and I have heard it all. But yeah. the idea of rich people having, you know, a prostitute orgy just is not shocking to me. I'm, you know, I don't know why they're not having one of those right now. If there's a human sacrifice involved, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're cooking with gas now. And, and I, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe my threshold has just gone farther, farther away. I mean, possibly. Don't forget that just, you know, you can imagine the, the, the most evil things in your head and not act on them, right? Because you realize they're evil. But, uh, you know, the, there's a, always the odds out that there's someone out there who's got enough money and enough power who, you know, who's tried everything and gets to a point where, you know, you've got to start doing weird stuff. Yeah, and I'm sure those people are very real and... I don't want to. I don't want to know who they are specifically. But if there's a not mov- a good idea. But if there's a movie about it with yeah. people that maybe kind of look like them but don't fictional characters, Fic- exactly fictional characters. I would be interested in that. And you know, frankly, Bar- I, pres- I presume that's going on in Hollywood right now that somebody is Barry, getting- Barry Pepstein. You know. Oh God, let's okay. Let's walk <laughs> away from that one a little bit. Uh... <laughs> We're not going to talk about that. No, let's not do that. Um, <laughs> legally recovered, because I used that name, right? We're good. Correct. Yeah, legally recovered. You know, and it just makes you wonder, wow, actually, you have opened up my mind to a realm of possibilities that I'm not going to discuss while I'm recording. Um, I'm sorry. I really no, am it's, sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> you, you, you know, the truth will set you free, or some insane conspiracy theory about rich white guys in Hollywood will drive you crazy. Um, I don't know which yes. one it's going to happen, but they're both, you know, it, it's going to be a fun night. So <laughs> moving on a little bit. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. Did you ever see uh, The Shining with Stephen Weber? Is that some sort of like TV series or movie? Or it something? was a, a miniseries in America made for TV miniseries. Yeah. Um, do you, are you familiar with Stephen Weber? If you know that name by name, I'll be surprised. And you're. Would have to be a pretty significant American file. Oh my God! You know, yes, yes, he was the crazy one <laughs> I used on to Wings. Watch Wings. Do they yeah. have that in Canada? Yeah, we. Like, I'm we, sorry. No, that was right. mean. To, that was no. That was bad of us. We should not have sent that. Uh, no, and I mean twenty odd, almost thirty years ago now. So been you know, a minute. Here's, here's basically how it works. I mean, if you're on the East Coast, you get East Coast channels from like New York and Vermont and stuff. And if you're on the West Coast, oh, that's right. You get that. And I've lived on both. You get channels from like Seattle and LA and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, that, co- that, what is that it? TV uh, now. In Living Color. I used to watch In Living Color when I was a kid on the West Coast. Okay, fair enough. So yeah, so uh, the crazy one from Wings. I know who that is. Played. The, yeah, I, re- I I think I saw like half an episode or something. And then Rebecca De Mornay from oh. The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Oh played um wendy yeah that doesn't sound interesting uh rebecca see uh, 
Rebecca de Mornay is way too hot to play is this, Wendy. Th- is this the one that Stephen King actually approved of? He directed it or something. He was actually in it. He he had a small role. But that was he, the one where he's like, yeah, this one is, is what I wanted. And yeah, Cooper, this, this is like way more successful. Yeah, that's so you you have a goofy Jack, a sexy Wendy and a stupid kid. Yeah, it's too Hollywood. It's it's not right. That's you know, that that that's definitely a Hollywood. That's a Hollywood family. It's a Hollywood casting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it. And it was eight hours long. So before they made The Hobbit into nine hours, apparently they made The Shining into eight. And me, being a dumbass, bought that on Malaysian Video Compact Disc <laughs> because it had never been released that, in America. So I had downtown in some CD shop or something? No, I went to eBay. <laughs> Even easier. Yeah, I got oh, you. Yeah, eBay eBay, okay. some dude from Malaysia mailed it to me. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't know anybody who's actually watched that, <laughs> and I mean, sat through the entire thing. But I did. I watched the whole thing, and uh, I think part of why I bought it was because I bought a VCD cartridge oh for my, my Sega, my Japanese Sega Saturn. Oh lord! And I'm like, well, I have this. What the hell am I gonna watch? And as it turns out, most of the things that were released on VCD were hardcore pornography. That makes sense. Because that's what everything is. Everything is hardcore pornography in America. So, but not, it's but the not really. sellers, always. Oh, yeah. That's why VHS beat beta. Because beta, or because VHS had porn and beta did not. So beta oh, failed. Even though beta was the sense. superior format. Um, wow, we are really here. in the weeds here. So how long have we? Wow, I don't even know how long we've been going. So uh, I'm gonna let you lead the conversation because I'm just gonna lead this to nowhere good. <laughs> well, do you want to go steer this back to Kubrick or whatever? Just just take us. Just I mean, just whatever into the ditch is fine. Yeah, well, like we talked like earlier about that and how you know I, what's what's I've heard this said before, but I guess we can kind of repeat it here because not everyone's heard this um, or this idea that, you know, Kubrick kind of follows you along your whole life, right? Especially for us with that generation where he made movies like before us and during us. And then, you know, he passed away. So, you know, when you're five or six, like you said, and you like the monkeys and, you know, you like this bit and that bit. And then when you're, you know, 10 or 11, 12, it's all very kind of weird. (laughs) Well, the thing about the thing about Kubrick that's amazing is, you know, you're absolutely right. For, for someone of our age, he was always there. And he was never an extraordinarily prolific filmmaker. So you've got two movies in the 80s, one in the 90s, and yeah. three in the 70s, because you've got Clockwork Orange, Barry Lydon, Lolita. Lolita's the 60s. Is that 60s? Okay. Yeah, so you, that's you know, before you, Strange Love. You got three oh, in the that's 60s. Right. I think it's, uh, you may have a few more, actually. I'm not sure about Spartacus. I think it's. I think you got Spartacus. Spartacus is Lolita, Strange Love, of and two thousand one. That's what right. You got so the he, but he again never even in those days that's not prolific. No, no, he would he, like two thousand one took forever. Considering like at right, that he, time how long usual movies would take, you know. Right at that time, a movie took about six months to, to film. At the most, right? Those were yeah. Like big and, and now movies. it's like a now it's like a weekend. And well now yeah I mean, almost nothing is real in what we're watching right so, that's why it only no. takes like a weekend you know you, yeah. go to, you go to vancouver you you spend five days up there you film 
uh, four days, and then you know you, you call ILM you skirt and, taxes. Yeah. Oh, you skirt taxes in America. You go up there, you get the, or you go over to Atlanta. And, you know, you pay the no, the no, the no, uh, the no tax Spider-Man. state tax, and yeah. um, then you know just deal with whatever nastiness is going on over there, and just pretend it's not, and pay less taxes, and you know less union dues, and uh, mm-hmm. then they just send it to ILM, and ILM finishes it. Pretty much. And, but back wow. then they actually had to film movies and actually worry about it. And, but you know, it's, I would imagine that Kubrick probably could have done a movie every six months if he had wanted to. And been one of the most hyper wealthy men of the age. I think it's impressive that he doesn't. And even though he's not prolific, he does take his time. He is selective. He always basically puts out quality entirely. And he is still always there. Well, that's that's where you see he was doing it for the right reasons. He's got Correct. credibility and he's got conviction. So, I mean, all these people that we tend to remember and, and kind of, you know, put up there and, and, and idolize are people generally who have, you know, conviction in what they're doing. That's kind of the most important part. And we can like see you- that and we can tell when it's real and we can tell when it's not. So, you know, correct. And if you look at music in the 70s, it's the same way. You have bands like Johnny Cash and Kiss, whom I love both dearly, were not putting out records for credibility. They were putting out records to put out records. It was a it was a product. Correct. Then you have bands like Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd that are putting them out when they're ready to put them out. And, you know, for some reason, Johnny Cash is. That's why we still listen to it. Right. And Johnny Cash's 1970 records did not fit at the time. And even though I love Kiss dearly, uh, yeah, they did not either. I mean, they put out like four good things in the seventies out of like sixty. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few hit songs that everyone remembers, which is great, and all the other stuff is filler. And there's I'm talking like all after the seventies. Yeah. Oh, the seventy. See, after the seventies gets weird, and I don't want to bore you with that because I've got a lot to say. Um, too much to <laughs> no, say we're not going to talk about that. But yeah, to, to, to go back to Kubrick, I got you. So, so this idea that as you get older, you start to peel away the layers. You're a little smarter. You know a little bit more about the world. So you watch the movie again, and then you're like, oh. And you notice certain things that you hadn't noticed before. And you're like, oh, I didn't like this because, you know, I was a stupid, immature kid. Because now that I'm older, I, I, I get it all of a sudden, I guess. Well, think you know? about, like, a, so The Shining is, what, 1980. So yep. think about any movie not named Star Wars between 1980 and 1985 and how many times you want to rewatch that now. I have gone back to a lot of movies I loved at that time and I look at them now and go, holy shit, that's awful. Ghostbusters. Yes. The, the Ghostbusters movies are unwatchable now. Spaceballs is unwatchable now. You know what holds up? You know what holds up? Because I get what you're saying and I agree with all those. But the one that holds up for me, at least one specific one, there's probably others, but RoboCop. Still, I can watch once a year. You know, I have not seen RoboCop in quite some time. Um, but I have to the say The original, that, right? Obviously. Th- there was another one? Was there yeah, a reboot? Like 20, 2014 or something, 2015. Oh, fuck that. It was PG-13. It was horrible. No, you want the rated R PG-13 RoboCop. Yeah, that was already a bad sign when they when they put that out like that. Yeah, that's, but yeah, the, that's the, like doing that's like doing Terminator PG thirteen. Well, and they did that too. Yeah, it didn't work, did it? No, neither did RoboCop. But the original is still a 
RoboCop is just basically Terminator who's a cop. Lazy. At least to me. I mean, Murphy had his hand shot off with a shotgun. You can't do that, PG-13. No. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to get stuck on that. But no, I, I would think that I, I would think that RoboCop would hold up rather well. It is especially now in the era we are living in. That is a great story because we are as, as we get older, not to get terribly political. But in, in the United States, we are seeing more layers peeled back of the police force that people don't like because everybody's filming each other now. And we are also seeing the, the the creation of the dystopian, much a hastening of the creation of the dystopian nightmare in America. We, you know, when I see people panhandling in the poor areas of our of our city, when I think, "Wow, you're 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 asking for money here. Nobody has any money here. Good luck." Exactly. Kind of yeah. thing. Everyone's broke. Yeah, I would think that that would make that movie even more poignant now. As long as it's well acted, when I haven't seen it in thirty years, so I can't speak to that. But but as we know today, like I'm not, you know, Hollywood. You know, I've been exposed to all those movies as much as you have, even though I'm from Canada. And and you know, it's what they're putting out these days. You know, reboots and stuff. It's it's kind of cynical. And it's a cash grab. That's the only reason they're doing it. And they're doing it PG thirteen. You know, to 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 get it, make as much money out of it as possible. I don't think RoboCop when it came out in nineteen eighty. A7 was necessarily thinking they were going to be a huge success. It did turn out to be one because it was a great movie, right? I I don't like what's happening with American cinema right now. <coughs> I, I don't know that anybody is because American cinema is just becoming essentially television, except it's becoming yes. television made for a global audience. And I like foreign films because they're foreign. I like Pedro Almodovar films because they're foreign. I like Japanese films because they're from Japan. And I like that. I like there being a sectioning off of cultures, not you know keeping them apart, not a segregation of cultures, but the world is different. So I like the idea of things being different for different people. Yeah, being, so when, being exposed to different ideas, right? right I feel right. like a lot of American movies are constantly presenting those same kind of you know, but now what we're doing and... is we're taking American movies and trying to homogenize them for a global audience. Yeah. And you lose a lot of what makes them American. Now, if I watched a Canadian movie right now, I would imagine it would still feel pretty damn Canadian to me. Letterkenny has not seemed anything but excessively Canadian. And we're going on to season 10, and that's awesome. But if you watch an American show, it's not that way anymore. You yeah. know, and there's there's too much money. In, and when you put too much money in, in a pot, you always get something goofy. So, you know, I, I miss American movies being distinctly American. You know, when you We're look having at, at least like we're talking about Kubrick, a singular vision. Right. And when we talk about RoboCop, think about the, the accents. That's they all I'm looking for. Movie. It seems like all these movies are being made by like, you know, like, what's that? Think about the accents in RoboCop. You know, no, you would not be able to get away with that now. Because, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because now, because they the have stereotypes. Yes. Well, not no, no, not that, not that. Maybe that, uh -huh. but, but I don't think that. But they had regional accents. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think people are even aware of that anymore. Or, or like even those accents are. That's the thing is I don't think changing. regional accents could be in a movie now. Not an American one. I don't, and I, that's, that's the kind of stuff I miss is being able to tell singular. So when you say a singular like vision, right. And when you say a singular vision, that's absolutely correct. When they made Godzilla versus King Kong, which I saw in the theater, I am a big Kaiju fan. I love Godzilla. I've loved Godzilla since I was five and I will continue to waste my money on seeing the American versions. Um, I will say that was the best. That was the best Americanization of Godzilla we've had so far. Uh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen this thing. They stopped to. Mecha Godzilla by dumping whiskey on a computer. <laughs> okay. The computer that I'm recording this podcast on, and I'm, yes, I am stealing this a bit from Tell Him Steve Dave. I have spilled beer on this computer, I don't know how many times. And. It's still going. I'm still podcasting. So I don't think that a computer that runs Mecha Godzilla would, and it was just one pint, like not even like a barrel, but like a pint of whiskey, and it's gone and it's ruined. It might even have only been a half pint. And then, of course, they have to be fighting in Hong Kong for the Chinese audience. And I mean, couldn't they have just smashed the computer? I mean, that wouldn't have been that much more on their huge budget. I don't know. I don't know. At worst, at least it makes more sense. It's still bad. Yeah, because I mean, you would think, you know, not all of Mecha Godzilla depends on this one computer here. What if the power cord falls out? Oh, what if, I mean, what if the power cord falls out and, you know, you only got 45 minutes of charge and then Mecha Godzilla can't someone, take Someone trips on it. Right. I mean, it, someone trips on it. You need a lot more fail safes than one fucking laptop. Especially for a giant killing, you know, machine. Like, you know, like a 30 story a killing building. machine. Uh, yeah, yeah, you need, you need. You're not going to be able to get that thing to Jupiter, which, you know, in, in the old Godzilla movies, they were aliens, they were <laughs> fighting aliens. So, I mean, you're going to try to send Mecha Godzilla to Jupiter on this laptop. Yeah. Like you got to make sure Mecha Godzilla can be space bound, right? Right. I mean, he went into space in, in anyway. So, I mean, and that's like the problem with American movies is that there's all kinds of that everywhere. Where it's like, oh, the kids got to save the day by doing whatever that is. All right, we did it, and it's just. Well, I don't know. If listen, we're talking about Kubrick. Like, was he? He was American. He was born here, but you know, after a while, most of his last movies were produced in England. Is he an American filmmaker? No, he he's not an American filmmaker. Well, sure, British. He, he's kind of like he's that he's that transatlantic kind of yeah, director. Yeah, he. We'll call him green. We'll call him a Greenlander. He's he got that half, transatlantic accent, you see? He, he was like halfway there. He would go to Greenland, and that's where he'd get funding, and then he'd figure out if he was going to go <laughs> to America to film it. He wouldn't fly, too. He would go by boat. So Did he? I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he went by boat. I mean, he did go by boat. He didn't like to fly. He, he I, I think Kubrick was probably like the last of, you know, that kind of filmmaker who's, you know, looking at it like this. And he's got his hands up in the two L's. And... All the time, constantly. Yeah, yeah, and you see him sometimes in the picture. He's got that that one. Yeah, lens. he does. He does that. Yeah, there are all kinds of photos of him doing that. And... So he's checking for the shot. He's. I think you know. I'm. I'm. I'm reconsidering. Listen, I'm a high school teacher, and obviously, like I've been teaching for 16 years now. Autism 
is a big thing, right? And we have kids who right. are autistic to varying degrees and stuff. And some of these guys who are very, you know, obsessive, like 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 a Stanley Kubrick, or uh, I was also, you know, I did a lot of reading up on Howard Hughes, who was another interesting, right, 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 thing figure, right. Um, I'm starting to think that maybe these guys were like slightly autistic or, or, you know, on the scale where it's not that noticeable, but they, you know, they have the lack of social grace, which usually <laughs> goes with it. Well, it's, it's kind of like, um, uh, and if you look at Stanley Kubrick, like case in point last night, we are watching the Seattle Kraken first preseason game ever. And they're, they have the greatest, most awful, uh, between periods announcers ever they got an Englishman and a disheveled lady and that's like Kubrick he's always disheveled and but slightly English at the same time so uh, I you gotcha know, he there's he, a British he, vibe to him I'm just there, saying like yeah there's definitely I, I would say an old world vibe there's an old yes, world vibe like to him. He, he he lived in England and chose to live there because there's something about it that he liked more than America I I like I think it was I think it was the art because when yes. as an American who has lived here forever, you know, um, one of the uh, another podcast I listen to is uh, Tales with TR from Terry Ryan out of Newfoundland, who is a former former hockey player. You know, he talks about corporate America okay. is coming and taking everything that they remember. And that's exactly right. I'm driving past I'm driving in uh, the sub. I live in St. Louis City proper, which is in. One of the great things about where I live is that we are, are largely unaffected by corporate America in the city. Once you get out of it, it's a little. The farther out of the city you get, you go, the more the more you're affected by corporate America, by Walmart, okay. by Target, by that kind of thing. I got gotcha. you, Burger King. But in the city, you know, we don't have like Apple huge billboards. Right, we don't have any billboards in the city to speak of. You know, the farther you get out, the more you get. That's so awesome. I'm, now, when you that's, get right outside, of, yeah, when you get right outside of St. Louis City uh, down Gravois Avenue, um, or as you might say, Gravois, but we don't say that. We don't. We, we gave up French forever ago because the the Shodos realized they'd make more money in English, so we we fuck French. You, you sure lost the R. Oh, completely. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> you can't do again that? in 1803 when the Louisiana Purchase was signed. New Orleans went. We are French. St. Louis went. There's more money in English. So that that's what happened. <laughs> that, that's why we split. And that makes sense. That's true story. That's absolutely true story. So is you you're driving on gravel and you, as soon as you leave St. Louis City, it's still the very old school brick buildings. And then I look to the right and I go, what the fuck is that? There's this McMansion subdivision now that just came out of nowhere. And I'm like, that's really close. I don't like that being there. Move, move that back a bit. But you, obviously you can't. And that's but so. Even here in St. Louis, which we have obviously been so, moving in, yeah, we've been so shielded from it that even our shield is going away. Even our shield, our Middle America, you know, old timey kind of shield that sucks. And yeah, it, it does suck. Now you don't have that in England. You don't have that in the old world. The old world is fiercely protective of who they are. Yeah. Whereas what is what it means to be an American, what it means to be a Middle American, what it means to be a Northern American is extraordinarily malleable and we are mal you know whereas america used to be a very large series of regional things it's it's like the history of the, the country when we started the reason why we had a strong bureaucracy was because it was too hard to get to washington dc for a central government yeah well now it's easy and no. the central government is now corporate america 
and they are pushing and they're homogenizing the entire country. Pablum. Sorry, that was that's my soapbox. That's my thing that I can't. Nah, say. listen, you're not wrong, man. Like that's that's I think what's happening all over. I don't think it's that's just that's true. Unfortunately, where you are, I think it's true where I am. Uh, you know, the lockdown here for some reason seemed to like you know for a long while it was small businesses that were closed. You know, mom and pop restaurants and things like that. But you could go to McDonald's in the Walmart. So oh god, you yes. know, and yeah, that's exactly so how, how it does was that here. work? Like, how come this small restaurant can't have people because of this COVID you know protocols, but we can still go to Walmart? That makes no sense. You know, we were doing as much as we could. We were trying to support all local businesses during the beginning of the lockdown. And yeah, my God, I spent way too much money doing that. Because, <laughs> again, the American optimism, oh, this is going to be over in a few <laughs> weeks. Nope, it was not. And, yeah, yeah. so take out Bill got big. Uh, but we are now meandering, which I think is a good time to call this a day. And I'm going to go catch, catch uh, the last couple periods of the Blues preseason game because now I like sure. watching preseason because it's on TV. I gotcha. So what else do we need to know before we before we call this a night? Well, hopefully, uh, I'll just remind everyone once again that Cro-Magnum's just put out our latest EP called Born Free. Uh, check it out at Cro-Magnum.ca. we got some merch there as well if you're interested. Um, you can also check us out on all your pretty much your favorite uh, streaming platforms. We should be on there. You can also check out our older EP, which is just self-titled, called Cro-Magnum. Uh, and that one's from a while back, seven years, but it should still be up there. Uh, check us out and uh, help support the band. Thank you. Sounds good. Uh, everybody, uh, and let me just say, as somebody who loves music and consumes music, it is always better to purchase rather than stream, even if you are just buying a download. And with Absolutely. that, I will say thank you very much for listening. This is the Glacier Musical Podcast. I will now play Born Free by Cro-Magnum. And thank you very much. Uh, beer, metal, and swearing. <laughs>